Take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. And uh, we are uh, in our last uh, sermon on uh, the book of Revelation. I want you to see a sign that Don and I saw yesterday. Is that not hilarious? Look at that. Can I get a witness? Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if he came before Tuesday week, all right? Praise the Lord. Well, uh, I, I will tell you that, you know, if you're looking for a sign, there it is right there, all right? Okay. It's hard to believe that this is our 35th sermon on the book of Revelation. What a wonderful series it's been. I don't recall ever personally, this is just a personal statement, enjoying studying for a sermon series more than this one. Uh, I'm sure that has a lot to do with the book of Revelation itself. You know, it promises you that you'll be blessed if you take notice of it at the very beginning, my little hometown, we say at the get-go of Revelation. Uh, chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed or obey the things which are written in it for the time is near. So you're going to be blessed if you read the book of Revelation. You're going to be blessed if you hear it preached and you're, are taught. And you're going to be blessed if you'll do what it says to do. It is a blessed book. And indeed, we've been so blessed. It's been the perfect book to go through during a pandemic, has it not? Uh, only God could have ordained that. We started back before we could even spell pandemic, much less more than uh, before we knew what it was. We started back on January the 5th, the first Sunday, and nothing was shut down, but in about two months, everything was shut down. And God continues to be faithful to us at Bellevue Baptist Church. Today, we're in the final text of the Revelation. We are in the final text of the New Testament. Yea, we are in the final text of the Bible. And uh, we're going to look at this topic that comes straight out of the Scripture. Come, Lord Jesus. Say that with me, please. Come, Lord Jesus. Revelation 22, verses 6 through 21. I told you we'd go through every verse. And all we have left are these verses from Verse 6 through 21 out of chapter 22. The first thing I want to say, I want to give you six things. You can take notes there and we'll go right through the scripture. Number one, Jesus coming could be imminent. Could be imminent. By imminent, I mean it could take place at any moment. Look at verse 6. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. Now, these words were given about 1,900 years ago. John was spoken to by an angel who reminded him that everything in the book of Revelation and in all of the Bible is faithful and true because God is faithful and true. If you'll read sometime the book of Lamentation, it talks about the faithfulness of God. Even when Jerusalem was, had been burned down 
and people were like, their bodies were dead and in the street. Jeremiah, who had preached for over 40 years and was faithful to God and really didn't see hardly any converts at all. I want to say this to you. If you do what God wants you to do, that is success in God's eyes. Jeremiah had virtually no converts, but he spoke a word of God. And listen to me, Jesus quoted Jeremiah more than any other prophet. Jesus affirmed his ministry. And he's out there and in Lamentations chapter three, he says, great is thy faithfulness. Oh God, you're so faithful. God is a faithful God. And he's also a true God. If he says it, it's going to take place. John said this angel had been sent by the Lord to show to us, to his bondservants, the things which must soon take place, the things that are imminent. Now, what is that? Well, I believe in six end time events. First of all, the rapture, the rapture. And uh, that's what Jesus, I believe, referred to in Luke 17, when he talks about Jesus is going to come for his church to snatch us away, to catch us up in the clouds. Jesus said two will be in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two will be at work, one will be taken, one will be left. Two will be in the bed, one will be taken, one will be left. That's the beginning of the end of time. It's the rapture and nothing has to take place. Nothing has to take place until the, before the rapture takes place. The, the gospel doesn't have to be preached to the whole world. I believe that the gospel, that the fulfillment of the great commission will be fulfilled during the great tribulation. I believe that at any moment, at any moment, Jesus could come back and snatch us out. I'll read a text to you out of 1 Thessalonians momentarily to talk about that. And then the second event after the rapture, that inaugurates the great tribulation. Seven years, Jesus said, of unprecedented suffering. Jesus gave it the name great tribulation in Matthew 24. And then at the end of that, Jesus comes back with his church at the second coming. And that is in Revelation 19, verses 11 and following. And at that time, at the end of Revelation 19, we also see at his second coming, there will be the battle of Armageddon. And then number four, the fourth event is the millennial reign of Christ, where he's going to reign for a thousand years. And there's going to be peace on earth, finally, finally going to be peace on earth, when the Prince of Peace, Jesus, reigns all over the world. It's going to be like the Garden of Eden being restored for a thousand years. I heard one commentator said, he said, it might take almost that long just to get rid of all the pollution that came on the earth during the great tribulation. But Jesus is going to reign. That's the fourth event. And then the fifth event, the final judgments at the end of the thousand year reign of Christ, he will judge all Christians, not going to hell or heaven. That's already been decided, but regarding our rewards. And then he will judge Satan and the demons and cast them into hell. And then all unsaved people, non-Christians will also be judged and cast into hell. And then the sixth event after the final judgments will be the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. This world is going to be burned up. All your pretty things, all the stuff you think is so important, not going to amount to a hill of beans. 
It's going to get burned up. And the Bible says there's going to be a praise God, a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. And thus we shall ever live and reign and be with the Lord. Those are the things that were coming. John said in verse 7, behold, I'm coming quickly. Jesus himself is speaking there and he's affirming his own imminent return. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. And then John says in verse 8, I, John, am the one who heard and saw. Underline those two words, heard, saw, heard and saw. Those are three words, I know, but there's two verbs there. I heard and saw these things. Now that sounds a lot like something that we read in the book of Acts. I, I would encourage you whenever you read the book of Acts just to highlight seen what we have seen and heard or what we have heard and seen. It can go either way in the book of Acts. But one of the first times that phrase is mentioned, seen and heard, is when Peter and John, John who wrote the book of Revelation in his 90s, was in his 20s when something happened with him and with Peter. They had gone after the resurrection of Jesus. They had gone to the temple to pray. And there was this lame man there. And Peter had said, I don't have any money, but what I have is better than money. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And for the first time in his life, you can read about it in Acts chapter 3, he stood up and he walked. And the Bible says, for the first time he could go into the temple because they wouldn't let lame people in the temple. And all of a sudden this man for the first time and he was walking and leaping and praising God. Don't you like it when somebody gets saved and they don't know how to act at church? Amen. Amen? That's good stuff. And so he comes out and everybody says, hey, that's the guy that used to beg. He was the lame guy. What's going on here? And the crowd gathered and Peter preached and said, repent and return that your sins may be washed away, that times or seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And the Bible went on to say that, that uh, they got arrested. They're brought before the Jewish Sanhedrin. Acts chapter 4, here's the purpose of me telling that long story. But Peter and John answered when they said, don't you dare preach anymore in the name of Jesus. Fat chance on that, amen? Amen. Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than God, you be the judge. But as for us, we cannot stop speaking about what we have, say it out loud, seen and heard. And now in Revelation chapter 22, 60 years after he said that, and they said that to the Sanhedrin, John is still talking about what he has seen and heard. I don't know about you, but I'm 62 years old. Man, if I get to 92, I still want to be seeing things and hearing things from God. Amen. I don't want to dry up and die out. I want to, I want to go out in a flame. I want to go out hearing from God. I want God to speak to me. I want to hear things. I want, and they said, look, we can't be quiet about the Lord. No way. We've seen too much. We saw him walk on water. We saw him feed 5,000 men plus their families with a little boy's lunch. We saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. We have seen too much. Oh, we've heard too much. We heard him preach the Sermon on the Mount. We heard him teach. And people would say, nobody talks like that. We have heard too much. We have seen too much. We'll die if necessary, but we're not going to shut up. And we're not going to sit down. Amen. We're going to tell people about Jesus. Well, that's what we got to have. That's what we got to have in the day in which we live. Amen. 
Verse 8 goes on to say, and when I heard and saw, it says it again, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. Verse 10, and he said to me, don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. He keeps on saying it. If Revelation teaches anything, it talks about the imminency of Christ's return. Some people say, oh, no, 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 we've got we've to look for the Antichrist. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for Christ. I'm not looking around. I'm looking up. Now, what is the rapture? And some people, you know, believe they say, well, that'll happen after the great tribulation. I believe in imminency because I believe Jesus is constantly saying, watch any time it could take place. And then also, I look at the Bible, God pours out wrath not on his children but on people who are not saved. Anytime in the Bible you see the wrath of God, whether it's Sodom and Gomorrah, he takes the righteous people out first. If, if, if he pours out plagues upon Egypt, he protects his people in that area where they were in Goshen. If he sends some type of plague on people, he protects his people. It's all over the Bible. Here's what I think is going to take place. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. This is a verse you need to know, text you need to know. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, not with a whimper, by the way, but with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. What does that mean? It means my mom and dad, when they, got, when they died, they were absent from the body and present with the Lord. Their soul and their spirit. You're a trichotomy. You are a spirit, soul, a, a, a spirit, soul, and body. And when you die, your spirit and soul go to be with the Lord immediately. But then your body at the rapture comes out of the grave, a brand new body, a resurrected body. It reunites with your soul and spirit, and thus you are ever with the Lord. Ain't no grave going to hold that body down. God, man may put you in the ground, but God's going to take you out of the ground. And Jesus Christ that's what he's talking about here. The dead in Christ will rise first. He's not talking about some dead liberal church, okay? He's talking about real dead people. And then he says, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. There's the rapture together with them in the clouds to meet the, the Lord in the air. And the, the Latin word is rapio, and that's where you get the word rapture. And so we shall ever be with the Lord. Oh, Jesus is coming back, and it could be imminent. We need to be watching, we need to be working, we need to be praying, we need to be sharing the gospel with lost people before Jesus comes back in the rapture. Secondly, Jesus' coming will not only be imminent, but could be imminent, but it will cause separation. Now, I talk to people all the time and they say, oh, no, no, when Jesus comes back, it's just going to be peace, 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 peace. I got news for you. When Jesus came the first time, he separated, and when he comes the second time, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. That's exactly what he's going to do. Look at verse 11. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. Let the one who is filthy still be filthy. Let the one who is righteous still be practice righteousness. Let the one who is holy still be holy himself. Now, what's he talking about? He's just saying, well, just whatever. You know, if you're, if you're sinful, just keep on. No, he's not saying that at all. He's alluding to the end of time. He's saying there's coming a time 
when you're not going to be able to repent anymore. You will have sent away your day of grace. You will not be able to repent because Jesus is going to come back. The Bible says that, that if you're filthy, then you're just going to be filthy for all eternity. If you're a sinner, then you'll just be sinful for all eternity. But if you're righteous, if you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, you'll be righteous all through eternity. And if you're holy, you'll be holy. That's what he's saying. And some of you right now don't understand that it's not only the fact that you could die and not have another chance, but Jesus could come back and you'd not have another chance. Now, you would have a chance during the great tribulation to get saved. We talked about that. But there's, he's talking about at the very end of time, you're going to run out of time. You're going to run out of the opportunity to be saved. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you, don't you need to go ahead and be saved today? Is this not the best time to give your heart to Jesus Christ? And he was echoing what Daniel had said in Daniel chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, where Daniel said, Go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end of time. He tells John not to seal up Revelation, but he tells Daniel to seal it up because it's way down the line. But he gives John the go-ahead, the green light. Verse 10, many will be purged, purified, and refined. Many people will come to the Lord, but the wicked will act wickedly. And none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. Indeed, there's a day coming when you'll no longer have the opportunity to repent and believe in Jesus what you already did will be determining and will etern- your eternal destiny will be already fixed. No hope to repent. Those who are lost at that time will go to hell. Those who are saved will go to heaven. Verse 12, again, he says it just over and over. Behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he's done. Jesus said, I'm going to... Re- To every man according to what he's done, I'm going to give rewards. Your actions don't save you, but they show that you are either saved or you're not saved. And for Christians, we're going to get rewards. And then Jesus says, here's who I have always been. Here's who I am, who I always will be. Verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the first and the last. I'm the beginning and the end. I am the eternal Son of God. I'm not just The Son of God, I'm God the Son. I have always been. I'm just as much God as God the Father, just as much God as God the Holy Spirit. I've always been. I'll always be. I am immutable. I'm the Alpha. I'm the Omega. I'm the first. I'm the last. I'm the beginning and the end. You've never known a time. Eternity has never known a time that I'm not there. And then Jesus categorizes everyone on earth in two categories. He says in verse 14, blessed are those, this is one category, who have washed their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Verse 14 talks about saved people, people who are Christians, people who have been washed in the redeeming, atoning blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The washing of Christ's blood gives us the access, the right, if you will, to access the tree of life and to enter into heaven by the gates into the city. That's exactly the words he uses in verse 14. Jesus, though, divides these men, all mankind, into two categories. If you're saved, that will be your your experience. But if you're lost, verse 15 is about you. Outside. Outside of what? Heaven. Outside. I thought everybody goes to heaven. No. No. Not everybody goes to heaven. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the immoral persons, 
the murderers, the idolaters, everyone who loves and practices lying. Lost people will be on the outside of heaven. Lost people are referred to here as dogs, sorcerers, immoral persons, murderers, idolaters, liars. You say, Brother Steve, that is harsh language, especially that dogs thing. What's going on with that? Well, the word dogs is referring to several times in the Bible to ungodly people. If you go back to Deuteronomy 23, 17 and 18, Moses said, male homosexual prostitutes are like dogs. I didn't make that up. I just gave you the reference. Deuteronomy 23, 17 and 18. He said they, they are just like they're out of their mind. They're like they're animalistic. Male homosexual prostitutes are like dogs, he said. And then in Matthew 15, 26, Jesus said, not only that, spiritual heathen are like dogs. And then Paul said, not only that, but in Philippians 3, 2, he says, Judaizers, those Jews who say, well, it's okay to know Jesus, but if you really want to be saved, you can't just get saved with just Jesus. You've got to become a good Jew and you've got to be circumcised. And you've got to keep all the laws and then you get Jesus and then you get saved. And Paul said, nope, that's just coming from a bunch of dogs. Now that's not what it is. I know this is harsh. I get it. But you know what? The Bible says these things. And I told you I would go verse by verse, verse by verse. He's dividing. Verse 14, he said, these people are saved. Verse 15, these people are lost. Clear cut. That's how God divides mankind. You say, well, I, I've never heard that from Jesus. Oh, yes, you have. Matthew 10, 14, don't think that I came. Jesus says, Jesus is speaking. Don't think that I came to bring peace on earth. Well, we sing it at Christmas time. Yeah, I know we sing a lot of things. Don't think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. What does a sword do? It cuts in half. It divides. You're either a Christian or you're a non-Christian. You're either a sheep on the right hand of God or you're a goat on the left hand. Now, don't get mad at me. I'm just quoting Jesus out of Matthew 25. The left hand of God stands for his retribution. It stands for his punishment. It stands for his wrath. The right hand of God stands for the hand of favor. Sit at my right hand, the Father said to Jesus in Psalm 110, verse 1, until I make all your enemies a footstool for your feet. It's the place of righteousness. It's the place of blessing. I don't want to be at the left hand of God. And sometimes I'll talk about going from the left to the right. And somebody thinks I'm trying to be political. I'm not trying to be political. I'm trying to tell you, man, if you're on the left, that's not good. You don't want to end your life and stand before God on his left hand. You want to be on his right hand. Go from the left to right by giving your heart to Jesus Christ. That's not political. And I don't want any email about that either. I'll tell you that. On the right hand are the blessings. On the left hand are the judgment. Spiritual life or spiritual death. Heaven or hell. Jesus 
coming will cause separation. Thirdly, Jesus' coming will include an invitation. Look at verse 16 and 17. And this is my favorite part of the sermon. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I'm the root. You want to know where Christianity is rooted? It's rooted in Christ. I'm the root. I'm the descendant of David. I am the Messiah. That's what he's saying. All you folks that don't think I'm the Messiah, I am the descendant of David that David talked about. And I'm the bright morning star. And then he says, the spirit and the bride say, come. There's our invitation. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes, whosoever will, the King James, take the water of life without cost. One of my favorite verses shares the very heart of God. God is an inviting God. God is not saying, I don't want you to come. God is saying, come, come. Think about God, how he constantly in the Bible says, come, come to me, come to me, come to me. God wants you to come to him. I think about in Exodus chapter 32, the Bible says that Moses had been up on the mountain and he'd been receiving the Ten Commandments. He'd been on a 40-day fast. And boy, the Bible says he was getting the Word of God on Mount Sinai. Heaven was coming down. God was opening the heavens and coming down. There was fire and from heaven and everything. It was glorious, the hand of God writing the commandments of God. But down in the camp, it was a different thing. The people got tired of waiting on the preacher, all right? They got tired of waiting on Moses, and they go to his brother Aaron. They say, hey, we don't know what happened to Moses. Make us a God that can get us on down the line. And he says, well, I'll tell you what, uh, uh, just here's what you, and he, Aaron reminds me of preachers that give people what they want instead of what God wants them to have. Aaron said, give me your gold rings and I'll make you a God. That's what you want. I'll make you a God. And so he melts it down and he throws it in the fire and it comes out and he, he makes this golden calf and they try to worship the Lord, but then they commit not only idolatry, but then it goes into immorality really quick. And God stops Moses and says, okay, mountaintop experience is over with your people. God says, your people. He said, look, these are your people, Moses, are acting up down there. Go down there now. And Moses later on said, they're not my people. They're your people. And God said, no, they're your people. They're not my people. <laughs> and so the Bible says he went down there, saw all this stuff, and he gives an invitation. He sees all of this horrible, not only idolatry, but immorality, and he gives this invitation. Exodus 32, verse 26. Then Moses stood at the gate of the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, literally, who is on the Lord's side? That's, why, that's a question I think God is asking today. Some of y'all say, okay, I'm on this side and I'm on that side. I want to ask you, who is on the Lord's side today? In Memphis, Tennessee, who is on the Lord's side today? Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. There it is. Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered together. And from that day on, from that day on, they were absolutely. Bible says, come to me. Isaiah 1.18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, 
They will be like wool, as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they'll be like wool. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Everybody stay focused now. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. What did Jesus say in Matthew eleven twenty eight? 28? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my load is light. John 7, 37, now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Then the last thing that we want to look at is John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Do you hear Jesus saying to you today, come to me? Jesus gives an invitation. And the Bible says in verse 17, the Spirit and the bride say, come. The Holy Spirit wants you to come today to Jesus. He's convicting you of sin and righteousness and judgment. And the bride says come. That's the church. That's the preachers. That's the Sunday school teachers. That's the soul winner saying, come to Jesus. He'll pardon your sin. He'll robe you in his righteousness. He'll put your name in the Lamb's book of life. He'll cleanse you from all of your sins by his blood, and you'll never walk alone again. You'll have a forever home in heaven. And then he says, let the one who hears say, come. That is, once you hear and get saved, then it's your time to go invite people to Jesus. Reciprocate by evangelizing others. The evangelize, those who have been evangelized, evangelize others. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. That is, if you're spiritually parched, if you know that there's got to be more to life than you're experiencing, if you need the righteousness and the life of Jesus Christ, and if you're thirsty, come to the one who can give it. Let the one who wishes, that is, whosoever will, can take of the water of life without cost. It won't cost you anything. The cost has been paid. Jesus Christ says, come, come, come. He won't force you to come. He won't zap you with a lightning bolt of grace and make you come, but he will bid you to come. He will invite you to come, and he's inviting you right now. Would you come to Jesus today? Would you come to Christ today? Would you come to him today? Oh, Jesus' coming will include an invitation. Number four, Jesus' coming will be misrepresented. Look at verses 18 and 19. How will it be misrepresented? First of all, some will overstate his coming. By that I mean they'll add to what the Scripture says about the end of time and of Jesus' coming. Look at verse 18. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. John warns them here against religious legalism. What is legalism? Well, when you talk about religious legalism, it's adding to the Scriptures. It's saying, God, you didn't put enough in the Bible. We want to add our rules to your rules. How many of you know that we don't need to add anything to the Word of God? Does anybody know that? Word of God is perfect. Psalm 19, your law is perfect. It doesn't need any addition to it. You don't need to be a legalist. Jesus talked about the 
Jewish Pharisees, and he said, you guys are religious legalists. You add to the Word of God. He said in Mark 7, 13, and so you cancel the Word of God in order to hand down your own tradition, and this is the only, this is only one example among many others. How many of you have ever heard of somebody adding to the Word of God? They add their rules to the rules of God. God says, don't do that. Don't misinterpret me. When I talk about the end of time, just say what I say. Don't add to it. Don't overstate my coming, Jesus said. And then, not only that, some will understate his coming. Some don't even want to talk about his coming. They don't believe that he really rose from the dead. They don't really believe that he's really alive, and they don't believe he's in heaven, and they don't believe he's coming back. And so they take away. They take away from what the Scripture says. Look at verse 19, and if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. John warned not to take away from the words of Revelation. That means not to ignore, not to doubt what Revelation says. See, when you doubt the Word of God, that's liberalism. Adding to the Word of God is legalism. But the Scripture also says, don't be not only a legalist, but don't be a liberal that takes away from the Word of God. I want to make a little confession here. I've never been a liberal. Well, I want to say this to you. There's been time, there was a time 20 years or more, I mean 25 more years ago, that there were certain things in the book of Revelation I just didn't understand, so I never preached it. 22 chapters, most of those chapters I wouldn't preach. It wasn't because I was a liberal or a legalist. I, I just didn't understand it. And so I just thought, you know what, there's a lot of other verses in the Bible. I'll just preach those. I'll preach chapter 1. I'll preach on the, the glorified Jesus. Boy, that's a beautiful text. I'll preach chapter 2 and 3 about the seven churches. Boy, that's applicable. I'll preach chapter 4 about Jesus before the throne. That's applicable, the resurrected Jesus. And then I'll preach about chapter 5, God the Father on the throne. But chapter 6 and on, I don't, I don't really know what it means. I don't understand what those three frogs are and all that stuff. I don't understand all that. And so I just left it alone. I might preach chapter 19 about his coming. I might preach about the millennial reign. Didn't really understand all of that in chapter 20. I might preach about the judgment at the end of chapter 20. I might preach about heaven in chapter 21 and 22, but that's all I knew. And so all of that in the middle, about the great tribulation and all the outpouring of the wrath of God, chapter 6 through 18, I left it alone. And then one day, it's just like the Holy Spirit said, how long are you going to treat the last book of the Bible like a big question mark? How long are you, are you not going to study this? And why just laid on my heart? I said, Lord, I, I'm, I'm under conviction here. I, I understand what you're saying. I'm sorry. And 1996. And I found a six-sermon series by this preacher named Adrian Rogers. And it was on the six end-time events. And all of a sudden, when I listened to that, it's just like God opened it up to me 
And everything he was saying, he was basing it on Scripture. And it's just like all of a sudden I started to understand. Now, I'm not saying I understand everything about it. I don't think anybody does. But I started seeing how God was moving through those six things that I talked about earlier in the sermon. And I, I started buying commentaries. And I started reading. I started studying. And for 25 years, I have preached through not only the first chapters and the last chapters, but in the middle there, I've preached through just about all. And now I've preached through all of it after today. I want to say this to you. All of the Word of God is inspired. And the book of Revelation is not some enigma. It's not some, you know, fairy tale. It's not something we don't understand. But it can be. Jesus coming will be misrepresented. Liberalism will say it's not going to be real or it'll say it's not really as big of a deal as we think. And then legalism will add to it, but don't do either one. Number five, Jesus coming should be welcomed. Look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. Let's say those last four words together. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. Oh, we should welcome his coming. He who testifies these things says, yes, I'm coming quickly. Jesus said, I am coming. His coming is certain. Yes, I'm coming. It's personal. He's saying, I am coming. It's imminent. I'm coming quickly. And John responds, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We read in 1 Corinthians 16, 22, Paul saying just about the same thing. He said, if anyone doesn't love the Lord, that person is cursed. Our Lord, come. And those last three English words are one New Testament word, and that is the word Maranatha. Maranatha, our Lord, come. Our Lord, come. And John says here in Revelation 22, verse 20, although it's not the word Maranatha in the original, but it's the same meaning here. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We are looking for, we are anticipating for your coming. Just like Paul said in Titus 2.13, we are looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. I want to ask you, are you looking forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, man, you ought to. You ought to say today could be the day. They could be the day, man. Two will be in the field, one taking one left, two at work, one taking one left, two in the bed, one taking left. I'm looking forward to the coming of Jesus. It'll change the way you live. If you'll look for the coming of the Lord, Jesus' coming should be welcomed. Then finally, here's how the Bible ends, verse 21. Jesus' coming will be gracious. God ends the Bible talking about amazing grace. How many of you are grateful for the grace and the forgiveness of God? Amen. Look at verse 21. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. John ends Revelation. He ends the New Testament. He ends the Bible talking about God's grace. He gives an invitation to receive God's grace. That is not coincidental. That is providential. Jesus wants you today, whoever you are, he wants those young men who came in a while ago. That's why, you know, I'm not going to freak out over something like that. I want them. I want you. I want anybody just to come to know Jesus Christ. Amen. And look at me. It's because of the grace of God that I've received. 
Once you receive the grace of God, you'll want other people to have the grace of God. Once you've been a beneficiary of grace, you want everybody to have that opportunity as well. He said, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with all. Amen. It's all rooted in his grace. His second coming is, he's coming to consummate our gracious salvation, every part of our salvation, our conversion, our daily sanctification. We get saved by grace, we grow in grace, and then one day by God's grace, we will be glorified and made Christ-like completely. It's all of grace. And then he said not only that, but it's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it, it can only be the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that can give you salvation because Jesus is the only one born of a virgin. Jesus is the only one throughout history who lived a sinless life, and he is the only one who died an atoning death, who rose bodily from the grave, never to die again. He's the only one who appeared to his disciples for 40 days, then ascended to heaven, sat down at the right hand of the Father until the Father makes all of his enemies a footstool for his feet. He's the only one interceding for you in heaven right now at the right hand of the Father. He's the only one preparing heaven for you so that when you die, you get to go be in his house. He's the only one who's preparing to come back. He's the only one who's pardoning lost people right now. He's the only one who's going to snatch us away in the rapture. He's the only one who's going to, seven years later, come back on a white horse and send the, not only the Antichrist, but the devil himself to the pits of hell. He's the only one that's going to reign for a thousand years on this earth, and he's the only one that's going to bring us into the new Jerusalem. I got news for you. He's the only one. He's the only one. His coming is what this book is about. It's the Lord Jesus. And he says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with all. This is for anybody. Anybody can repent of their sins. Anybody can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and anybody can receive him as Lord and Savior. And then the Bible ends with one solitary word, and it's this, amen. Amen. I got to tell you a little funny. I preached last night on this, preached this morning on this, third time to preach on this. And at the beginning of the sermon, I said, or, you know, I talked to you about, I used to think that God ended the Bible with a question mark talking about the book of Revelation, but now I know it's an exclamation point. And one little five-year-old girl said to her daddy, he called me later on. He, he said, Brother Steve, I just got to tell you, he said, my daughter was so confused. She said, Daddy, Brother Steve said the Bible ended with an exclamation point, but in my Bible, it's a, just a period. <laughs> Man, I like people that listen that good. Amen. Why didn't you call me? Amen. Why, why I wanted to say him. Why didn't you call me? You know? Amen. That's how the Bible ends. Amen. Jesus is coming back in the rapture. Be ready. Amen. Unprecedented suffering in the great tribulation will come after that. Amen. Jesus will come back on his white horse, victorious with all of his saints. Amen. Jesus Christ will slay every opponent. Amen. Jesus Christ will establish his reign for a thousand years. Amen. Jesus Christ will be judge. Amen. Jesus Christ will burn this world up. And amen. Jesus Christ is going to bring down the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, and we will reign with him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. 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 Amen.
Praise God. And that's the book of Revelation. Amen. Amen. But it would be a shame to leave here not knowing Jesus Christ. Amen? It'd be a shame for him to give us this beloved book. Tell us what's going to happen in the future. I got news for you. This is the only prophetic part of the Bible that is yet to be fulfilled. Every other prophecy has been fulfilled. Revelation's all that's left. And for all we know, we're at the beginning of it right now. Let's bow our heads. Let's focus our hearts toward the Lord. Don't let the enemy in any way turn you away from the focus right now, which is all on Jesus Christ. If you don't know the Lord, oh my, come to know Him. Not just so that you'll be ready for the rapture, but so that you will be ready to face tomorrow and any challenge that you might have even today. Would you receive Him? He loves you. He knows more about you than you know about you, and He still loves you. Would you receive him today? Would you repent of your sins? Would you turn from your sins and say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I don't want to live this way. And would you believe savingly in Jesus Christ? And would you receive him as your Lord and Savior? If you would, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. The mouthing words that you don't mean will never save anybody. But praying to God, calling on His name is how people get saved. So if you will sincerely call on His name and not just mouth these words, but pray these words, God will save you right now. And again, you don't have to pray every little syllable I give, but just pray something like this if you want to be saved. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, Thank you that you love me. I am a sinner. I cannot be saved apart from you. Lord, I repent. I turn from my sin. I turn, Lord Jesus Christ, from my selfishness. And I turn to you. I repent, Lord. I'm sorry for my sin. And Lord, I believe that you died on the cross for me, that you rose from the dead to give me eternal life. And I believe that, Lord. And I receive you right now. I call on your name. Save me, Lord Jesus, right now. Wash me and cleanse me and help me to live for you for the rest of my life. And when I die, take me to heaven. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Let's thank the Lord for those who gave their hearts to Christ. Amen.